Good morning. This is the day that the Lord has made. Amen. Let's go over a couple of announcements. There's not much showing on our announcements that we don't already know. Uh, offering envelopes in the box. Uh, Andrea with a contact number. Uh, don't forget the days and praise. We've got plenty of those out there in the foyer. Following today's service, we are having a dinner. Um, and I know that some of you have to leave, which is unfortunate because I tallied up the meat count. We have about 16, 26 pounds of ham, a large plate of lasagna, another plate of pulled pork, you don't know what you're going to miss, I'm sorry to say. But anyways, uh, it, the dinner's going to be right after the, the service, and we hope that those of you that can't attend will. Do we have any other announcements? Nice to see Ken and Della here today. It looks like you're getting through some of the issues you have. Has anything heard about uh, uh, Jerry Rathkin and, and uh, Charles? Dale, have you got any updates on that? Yeah, they're doing, they're doing fine. Jerry got over her sinus infection. Um, Charles is going tomorrow to get some tests for his upcoming heart. Um, heart surgery? Yeah, but, um, yeah, it is, it is, I guess it's a catheter ablation type. And how old is Charles now? He's about 90 years. 90 years old. Please, please keep Charles especially in your prayers. Ninety-year-old uh, going for a catheterization, ablation, it's still considered surgery. So, and pray that God is is with him and the surgeons. If you'll direct your attentions to the scripture for meditation, it's taken from First Corinthians, chapter fifteen, verses. 50 through 58, you'll find that on page 1791 in your pew Bibles.
Would you stand with us, please, and uh, we'll begin our service with opening prayer. Dan, would you be kind enough to lead us in opening prayer? Lord, we thank you for this day. Um, and we can praise you and um, set this day aside um, specifically to um, praise you for what you've done uh, through the cross, your death, burial, and resurrection, and the uh, your people that you have drawn onto yourself. Please remain standing. Will you take your brown hymnal this morning and turn to number 217, 217 in the brown.
hand up before he even sat down. Yes, sir. We sing two, two, four. Jesus lives and so shall I. Two, two, four. Just a favorite this morning. Do you have a reason this morning? Um, yeah, just to give thanks to Christ for His uh, sacrifice. Awesome. Okay, two, three, four, and the brown. scripture reading for this morning is taken from the book of Romans, chapter 8, verses 18 through 27, and that will be in our 
1757 in our Pew Bible. Romans 8, 18 through 27. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of that him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoptions as sons, the redemptions of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Father in heaven, if you will hold these truths to our hearts, that we be blessed this day from this holy and inspired word. Amen. Please remain standing. We take your brown hymnal again and turn to number 220, 220 in the brown. Thank you. 
Our scripture text is Romans chapter 8. In this short series that we are doing on uh, Christ as a Savior, we have considered two subjects thus far. Number one, the decree of God to save, which demonstrated from the Bible that our salvation was planned before the creation of the world, at which time we were written by name in the Lamb's Book of Life. I mean, that's phenomenal. Just think of that. Secondly, the day you first believed. In that sermon, we talked about salvation in space-time history when God brought the gospel to our hearing. Now, not our external ears, but our internal ears, our hearing of the heart. He made us alive in Christ when we were dead in trespasses and sins, and he granted us a believing and repentant heart that responds to the gospel message. Today's study completes this little three-part series that I'm doing, and I want to address redemption in its various time slots, but not so much concentrating on the past because we pretty well have covered that. But I want to consider instead redemption in our day and redemption which is to come. So as we come to the scriptures, let's ask for the Lord's enablement. Thank you, Lord, for your word and we praise you for it. It's an absolute miracle that we still have the scriptures with us because historically the pagans have tried to burn and destroy the word of God the written word of God time and time again but you outsmarted them and a lot of times their own intent of evil fell upon their own heads and we still have our Bibles today we still have the Word of God. That is a credit to your miraculous watch care over your people. And we praise you for that. You have promised that your Word will endure till the end of time. And so we are seeing it and living it out. Now today as we talk about our day of redemption, I pray Lord that you will Help us to see how personal this is for us. And that we will take heart, to heart, the things that your scriptures say. We'll praise you for what you're going to do in our own lives. For the glory of Jesus, we pray these things and in his name. Amen. We're looking today at the subject, the day of our redemption. Our text is Romans 8. 
The first thing I would point out is there is a great need for redemption. And the need for redemption can be ascertained from the definition of the word itself. Verse 23 says that we Christians groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Here we have the word, which forms the framework for our study. What is redemption? Well, when I was at Moody as a student in the 60s, there were times when students would find themselves strapped for cash. All students know what that's about. Two blocks from the school was State Street, and State Street was like many marketplaces in big cities, no different in Chicago, dedicated to a particular type of shopping. It's not unusual for people to speak of the clothing district of a city, for example, or of Chinatown, featuring all kinds of Chinese restaurants. Well, Chicago had its clothing district, had its Chinatown, but State Street was known for pawn shops and the rather seedy side of life, the red light district, and you know what that is. It was not a street that one visited at night, and it was not a street one traveled alone in the daytime. Sometimes a student needing money for bills would go to the pawn shops to sell something value for cash. A piece of jewelry, a fine garment, a musical instrument, whatever, whatever had some kind of value. We traveled in groups and we would accompany that near broke student and witness the exchange. The pawnbroker would offer a certain cash amount for the item, and by the way, much less than what it was worth, you can be sure of that. And he would hand the seller a pawn ticket with a date stamped on it. The seller then had 30 to 60 days to redeem what was forfeited to the pawnbroker. Redemption occurred when the seller paid back the money that was loaned to him on the basis of that pawn. Oh, plus interest, which was usually pretty hefty. Now, if the seller did not return within the stated time frame, the item became the possession of the broker who would then take it out of storage and place it out in one of the glass cases for sale. The broker always made money. Always. On interest, or by selling the item, or both. The seller always paid out having pawned the item for less than it was worth. There you go, number one. 
And if he was unable to redeem the item, he lost big time. And even if he was able to redeem it, he lost hefty interest in order to retrieve the item. This is redemption. The buying back of something which has been lost or forfeited in the transaction. The Greek is a compound. You're not much into Greek. But it is the Greek word apo lutrosis. Apo away or separate and lutrosis, lutron to loose or free hence to loose away or to free from the hold of something or someone. There's some interesting sidelights about this word. If we were talking in judicial circles, it would mean to acquit someone accused of a crime, set them at liberty. Lutrosis. If it was a captive that you're talking about, it would mean to loosen their bonds and set them free. Take off the handcuffs. Take off the, uh, the chains and the iron. If it were a debtor that you were talking about, it would mean to pay one's debt so that the creditor's claim was satisfied. In the slave market, it meant to secure freedom for that slave on the basis of a payment. Now you can see in all of these scenarios the foregone conclusion is that of securing freedom from some form of restriction imposed and within the Greek word is the concept that the freedom obtained through payment is a done deal. Ever secure. No possibility of relapse. When we're talking of the process, the word is redemption. If we're talking about the payment itself, the word is ransom. The person set free is called the redeemed. I think we're generally familiar with this concept more frequently than we care to admit. Think about the news stories that we can read of a child, for example, being kidnapped, followed by the proverbial ransom note or phone call demanding a high payment for the release of the kidnapped child. This human analogy falls short, however, because sometimes with criminals, the ransom is paid and they will kill the captive instead of releasing them. But the elements are here. A child once free is kidnapped, so bondage. The evil kidnapper refuses to let the child go unless a ransom is paid. There is the power of confinement over the child. There's no escape. The 
payment of the price is calculated to secure the release of the bound child. Now how does all this relate to the biblical concept of redemption? Well, look at verses 18 through 21. And on man's desire or effort, but on God's mercy. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, I raised you up for this very purpose that I might display my power in you and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. Therefore, God has mercy on whom he wants to have mercy, and he hardens whom he wants to harden. One of you will say, then why does God still blame us for who has resisted his will? But who are you, O man, to talk back to God? Shall what is formed Say to him who formed it, Why did you make me like this? Does not the potter have the right to make out of the same lump some pottery and some for common use? This is the account of man's fall into sin and the consequence of it. Adam and Eve, free, enjoying their liberty in Eden, the garden paradise of God. But then, when sin against God came through disobedience, and what happened? Wham! Everything changed. Now they're not free. But they are bound by sin. And the creation is cursed because of them. We read, Cursed is the ground because of you, Adam. Through painful toil you will eat of it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you. By the sweat you will eat your food. And you will return to the ground. So it's talking about death and decay. Verse 21. Since from the ground you were taken, and to dust you will return. Genesis three seventeen and 18. So the creation is cursed not for its own sin, verse 20, but for Adam and Eve's sin, thrown into bondage, which it cannot extricate itself. And creation waits then for liberation day. Well, what does creation do while it's waiting? Verse 22. The whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present day. What does that mean? It means the curse of God is painful. The bondage is restrictive. The natural world is at odds with itself. Animals are subject to prey. Vegetation dies, decays. Rivers dry up and or overflow their banks and flood. 
tornadoes, hurricanes, earthquakes, literally tear apart and destroy. They're destructive and they bring death. Where are all God's people in this? Well, they're waiting too, but with eager anticipation, verse 23, waiting patiently. What are we doing while we wait? Verse 23, we're burdened with a curse put on mankind for our sin. Okay, when will liberate? Verse 24. At the finality of our adoption with the redemption of our bodies. When's that? Resurrection. Resurrection. So, redemption is needed then because of our bondage. Our freedom is lost because of sin. Satan, the world, and sin hold us captive. We are under God's curse. We have no means to extricate ourselves. We need a liberator to come who has the price, who has the power, sufficiently effectual to command our release and freedom and the desire to pay it so that we can go free. So that brings me to the subject of redemption stages. Maybe you didn't ever think about redemption having stages, but it does. Number one would be God's ordination in history past. Revelation 13 verse 8 says that the Lamb of God was slain from the creation of the world. That is, Christ crucified was a done deal in the mind of God before the world or you or me were created. The ransom price securing our redemption was fixed in the ordination of God, never to be in doubt, never to be thwarted, never to be revoked. This tells me that redemption has an eternal perspective. Eternity is not a part of our time-space world. Eternity is the pre-world. The pre-time era known only to the eternal God himself. Redemption then does not start with the crucifixion of Jesus. It starts with the decrees of God to redeem a people out of the realm of bondage and to do so for his own name's sake. So it's in the past. God's decree. But redemption isn't redemption unless it comes to present history. A plan, let's put it this way, a plan which never materializes is a dream. Not a plan. God did not simply dream about redemption. He decreed it. So in the foreknowledge and foreordination of God, 
when Adam and Eve disobeyed him and died spiritually, a death and bondage every bit as real of anything evil men do to enslave others occurred on their posterity so that all mankind were bound and held captive because of Adam and Eve's sin. The Bible puts it this way, the wages of sin is death, Romans six twenty three. So if we are all sinners, and we are, the chains of death held us fast and refused to release us. The devil, the murderer from the beginning, is our father, according to John 8, verse 44. And he's not about to let us go free either. So what then is the price of freedom? What is the price of redemption? How will death let us go? How will death Paul says, we know that the law is spiritual, but I'm unspiritual. Boy, there, there's the truth, right? I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. Romans. Self. Before you, he says, I see another law at work in the members of my body, making me a prisoner of the law. Yeah. Who will rescue me from this body of death? He answers his own question. Thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Therefore, there is now no condemnation Through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law, that is Moses, was powerless to do, what the law was by sending his own son to be a sin offering. That's the gospel. And I want you to notice here all this language of slavery followed by emancipation or redemption through a payment. Just let me read some of the phrases. Sold as a slave. A prisoner of the law. The broken law caught him and held him fast. Who will rescue me? Notice that. He can't rescue himself. I need to be rescued, but who's going to do it? It's like, you know, like he's in shackles. Who's going to rescue me? Who's going to set me free? There's now no condemnation, he says. 
guess what? All on death row are condemned unless, until someone rescues them. Through Christ, the law of the spirit of life set me free. Finally, what obedience to the Mosaic law could never do, God did by sending sending his son to be a sin offering. A ransom. slavery or sin. In following it shows Paul's hopelessness in himself. I see another law at work in the members of my body making me a prisoner of the law of sin. What a wretched man I am who will rescue me? Now, if you're a prisoner somewhere, locked in a cell or chained to a wall, whatever, you need an external source to rescue you. He answers his own question. Thanks be to God, through Jesus, Lord. Therefore, there is now no condemnation. For those in Christ. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit of life set me free. For what the law could not do and was powerless to do, God did. God did. This is a lot of language of slavery followed by emancipation or redemption. That idea of through a payment. Sold as a slave of sin. Prisoner of the law. Now no condemnation. But all on death row are condemned. God had to do it. Which he did. By the ransom price. There was a book called The Jesus Papers. The Jesus Papers by Gent. It was highlighted on Fox News on the O'Reilly Factor back in 06. You wouldn't remember it. I wouldn't remember it, except I wrote it down. This book, the Jesus Papers, had as its premise that the crucifixion never occurred. It was just a cruel hoax fostered on people in the 4th century. They denied the account of the crucifixion, not only in the Gospels, but by two secular histori- historians, 
Emperor Tacitus, Josephus, the Jewish historian, both of whom wrote of Pilate's execution of Jesus by, by crucifixion. And without the crucifixion, the very ransom price, which alone is costly enough and powerful enough to set sinners free, that it destroyed. Well, forget what Michael Bygent claims. I mean, he wasn't there. What, could, what did God do as recorded by the eyewitnesses? Peter says, you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver and gold that you were redeemed, but with the precious blood of Christ. I what was revealed in these last times for your sake. 1 Peter 1, verse 18 and following. Redemption past. Redemption present was revealed for your sake. Hebrews 9.26 says of Jesus, But now he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself. Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many people. And he will appear a second time not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. So here's a text that has redemption present. He has appeared at the end of the ages to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself. Redemption in the future. He will appear a second time. So we got it past, present, future. And our text says, verse 23, that we, not to mention all of creation, wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Future resurrection will secure the final phase of our redemption. Our bodies. Now look at verse 29. <coughs> <coughs> it says in verse 29, For those God foreknew, that would be before the creation of the world, right? He also predestinated to be conformed to the likeness of his son. Those he predestinated, that's past. He also called those he called in their day, present. He also justified those he justified. He also Glorified, that's the future redemption. Past, here. Paul writes, when we were children, we were 
in slavery under the basic principles of the world. But when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, we were in held in captivity, that we might receive the full rights of son. Galatians 4, verses 3 and following. Now, all of these scriptures affirm that redemption was more than a decree in the thought of God before time. Yes, it was there too. But it was a plan that was implemented in time-space history with a real flesh-and-blood liberator coming into our world from God who would affect the redemption, the liberation of his people. It's not just past history. There's a present history. And what about the ransom paid? Are we redeemed? Titus 2.14 says of Jesus, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. He calls us, he describes Jesus as giving himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness. Galatians 3.13 says Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus. 1 Peter 1.18 says, You were redeemed with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. Revelation 5.9 says, You are worthy because you were slain, and with your blood you purchased. The King James Version says redeemed. It's the same word. With your blood you redeemed men for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. All men know, Revelation 14.4 4 says, purchased or redeemed from among men and offered as firstfruits to God and the Lamb. Hebrews 9 verse 28 says, Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many people. Not all. Many people. Romans 3.24 and 25 speak of the redemption that comes by Christ Jesus, God presented him as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in his blood. Ephesians 1 verse 7, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. Colossians 1 12 and following, exhorts us to give thanks to God the Father, for he has rescued us, from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of his son that he loves in whom we have redemption the forgiveness of sins now keep in mind what we have learned today about redemption redemption has to do with securing the release of captives through a purchase price we as sinners are bound by our sin held captive by the devil to do his will and snared by the tentacles of a godless and world philosophy. 
say, well, what about that wicked kidnapper who has no intention of letting the kidnapped person go free? We know about those things in our society, don't we? In other words, what about the captor who plans to kill the captive regardless of any price? Brethren, dead is what we were when Christ paid for us. Lifeless was the condition of our hearts. We were not looking for a redeemer. We did not want a redeemer. We liked where we lived, oblivious to what life could be in Christ as God's child. We are not seeking God. He is seeking us. We're not looking for liberation from sin. We like our sin. There is pleasure in sin for a season. But the point remains, how much redemption can Jesus do if we're already dead? Okay, what did redemption accomplish? The work of Christ as Redeemer addresses every enemy of our souls. Every captor is eliminated in one fashion or another. Consider, let's talk about him. The devil. He's a captor. He holds us fast. Paul spoke to Timothy about those who oppose Timothy's leadership. And he spoke of them as those in a trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. 2 Timothy 2, verse 26. The people of the world think they're free. They're not free. They're doing the will of the evil one. So it is with all sinners. For in Ephesians 2, verse 2 and following, Paul reminded the Ephesian brethren of their past, including himself, I might add, and he says, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the way of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in all those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time glorifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. I want you to observe that all three captors are discussed here. The devil, the world, the sin nature. But we're concentrating on the first in this particular list, the devil. He is the spirit being with great power. He is an evil spirit. Jesus calls him, I'm reading scripture, a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for those there is no truth in him. He is a liar and the father of lies, John 8, 
verse 44. Now, is this the kind of person with whom one can no negotiate a payment? Can we count on the devil to release us from his grip if God pays the price? No. There is no truth in him, says Jesus. You cannot count on him to keep his side of the bargain if there was such a bargain. What is more, he is a murderer, Jesus says. He'd rather kill the captives than set them free. So Christ's redemption is more than a payment. It is a payment, but it's more than a payment. It is a revelation of his power. In Christ, we read in the scripture, all the fullness of deity lives in bodily form. And you have been given fullness in Christ, who is head over every power and authority. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Colossians 2, 9 and following. 2 Corinthians 2.14 be to God who always leads us in triumphal procession in Christ. It is true. It's prophesied in Genesis. But it's also true that Jesus crushed his head snake that he is we also have the world that's our enemy the world in New Testament thought is never portrayed as your friend it is always described as an alien place a hostile place an anti-god place the biblical scripture does not refer to the globe. It does not refer to the material universe. Rather, it means the world's philosophy, its train of thought. Jesus put it this way. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. And that is why the world hates you. I wonder if the people of the world realize this. I know they don't. They're part of it. They're part of the deception. That's why there's so much hatred in the world. It's the world hates you. The world hates you. James put it this way. Don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred towards God? You can't have it both ways. He goes on. 
Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes the enemy of God. James 3 verse 4. There's no middle ground here. And that is why John exhorts us, don't love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything, everything in the world, the cravings of sinful man, the lust of his eyes, the boasting of what he has and what he does. All those things come not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but the man who does the will of God lives forever. Oh, there's a, there's a ray of hope. The man who does the will of God lives forever. That's 1 John 1, 15 and following. But it sounds like the world is a powerful foe that allures us with its promise of fun and excitement and gratification for our lusts. It asks us to give up nothing. You don't have to give anything up to be a friend of the world. Just enjoy life as it has. As it comes your way. But it has, conceals its own demise and the destruction of all who imbibe the world's philosophy. The arcs are an enigma to the world, but not to us. The writer of Hebrews says of the patriarchs, they admitted that they were aliens and strangers on earth. And people who say such things show that they're looking for a country of their own. They were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Hebrews 11, 13 and following. And verse 2, 10 says of Abraham, he was looking for a city whose foundations, whose architect and builder is God. The world is a powerful, evil captor. But Jesus said of his disciples, I have chosen you out of the world. And his prayer to the Father affirmed, They are not of the world anymore than I am of the world. John 17, verse 14. So something must have happened to emancipate the believers from the clutches of the world. But what happened? John 16, 33. In this world, you will have trouble. But take heart. I have overcome the world. So the devil as our enemy and the world as our enemy have been overcome by Christ. What about our third enemy, sin? Well, we have no
no doubt that sin is a powerful captor. We struggle with sin every day. Will sin continue with its tentacles to hold us? Will it defeat us in the end? Will it keep us dead in the tomb? In the Colossians 2 text, verse 13 says, When you were dead in your sins, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the written code. By the way, that's a business term indicating a certificate of indebtedness in the debtor's own handwriting. But if it's been canceled, then the debt is canceled. He canceled the inner code with its regulations that was against us and that stood opposed to us. He took it away and he nailed it to his cross. I would put it this way. Sin has nothing to say to us anymore. Look at our text, verse 31 and following. If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not, along with him, give us all things? Who will bring a charge against those whom God has chosen? That is, who will bring a charge against us and make it stick? We're charged lots of times with things. So who will bring a charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who is he that condemns? Christ Jesus who died, oh, more than that, who is raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Oh, my. That Christ, ever since his ascension, actually before that, for his people. Special kind of prayer. Sin has been paid, its wages in Jesus' crucifixion, and it no longer has any claim on the believer's life. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 26 says that the last enemy to be destroyed later in the same text, verse 54 and following, when the mortal shall have been clothed with immortality, then the saying that has been written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Victory's already been obtained.
And that's we have a victorious Redeemer. Whatever the enemy of our souls, however powerful the captor, yet this is true. We have a victor in Christ. To each one of us, grace has been given, right? Paul, as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, when he, Christ, ascended on high, he led captives in his train, in his following, and gave gifts to men. Ephesians 4, verse 7 and 8. The captives are all the people Jesus has rescued from the world and sin and Satan. And they're all led to glory. It begins with the gospel. Jesus said, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has appointed me to preach the good news. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners. Recovery of sight for the blind. I'm reading scripture. To release the oppressed. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Luke 4, verse 18 and 19. It's called the year of Jubilee in the Old Testament. The year of the Lord's favor. Say, so, well, what's that? every 50 years I think this is one of the neatest traditions in Jewish history every 50 years by law by law you had to release set free all of the slaves that you might own what Economically, what's that going to be? It's called the year of Jubilee. Set them free. Let them have their freedom. What a beautiful picture of what Christ has done for his people. Through the blood of his cross, he's emancipated. He set us free. All who trust in him. Is that you this morning? I hope so. Pray so. Luke writes, The Spirit of the Lord is on me. He's not talking about himself. This is the words of Jesus in the Gospel of Luke. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has appointed me to preach the good news. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners. Recovery of sight for the blind. Release the oppressed. Proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Proclaim jubilee. Proclaim the 50-year freedom. Luke 4, verse 18. Brethren, that's what salvation is all about. Not so we can continue to live in sin, but so that we can be freed from it. Learn how to live righteously for the Lord's sake. Learn how to hate the world and hate the sin and hate the devil, our three spiritual enemies, and to fight against them. 
through the power of the Holy Spirit of God. May the Lord so emancipate you. Thank you, Lord, for your grace and goodness to us, for the salvation that comes in the gospel, that you came to set us free. free from the three enemies of our soul, our sin, the devil, and the world. And in Christ, by the Holy Spirit, we are free. So help us, Lord, we pray. <coughs> we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Our closing hymn, I'm going to change it to 353. Three. <coughs> I think it's in brown. The hymn is Victory in Jesus. Someone have that? Give it to me. It's in brown? Not brown. Not in brown. Red. It's got, got a different number. Yeah, four. Four seven three in the brown. Okay. It's not in the red. Shall we stand as we sing?
I also like the other hymn that we sing, Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sometimes we hear of it being, the gospel being presented as a partnership, and I know what they mean. We have to repent and believe. We have to repent of our sin. But when I scriptures in Ephesians and see that both faith and repentance are the gifts of God to whom he will. I'm brought back to the reality that unless God does a work in my heart and in my mind salvation is going to elude me. Chosen before the foundations of the world that brought into his family in space-time history. That's the work of our Savior. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Pray that you will bless it to our hearts. You tell us things in the scripture that we love and some things we don't. We don't like to hear about our sin and our inabilities to please God. We like ourselves too well. I pray that you will help us to see in the mirror of your word what we're really like and what we really owe to you in terms of thanksgiving and living a holy life. Sanctify us for your service. We pray for your glory, but also for our good. And it is for our good to live a holy life. Because the says without will see the Lord. Pretty clear. So make us holy. Thank you for all your grace. Thank you for the gospel that we saved. Now there's a downstairs, right? Do I have that right, guys? Yep. So be sure you make your way down there. And I think the deacons provided the meat. Is that right, guys? Yeah. Okay. Thank you, deacons.